No, I was just making shit up. I was doing jazz. I was. You were doing the standards. You were doing the classics like Nat King Cole, and that yeah. was Miles Davising this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, fellow law nerds. Welcome to another episode of Boom Lawyered, a rewired news group podcast hosted by the legal journalism team that is still super fired up about Ketanji Brown Jackson. Woo! <laughs> I'm Rewired News Group Senior Editor of Law and Policy, Imani Gandhi. And I'm Jess Pikla, Rewire News Group's executive editor. Rewire News Group is the one and only home for expert repro journalism that inspires you to stand up for trans kids. And the Boom Lawyer podcast is part of that mission. So a big thanks to our subscribers and a welcome to our new listeners. So we have, I don't want to use the word celebrate. Mm-mm. I think maybe I'll use the word commemorate. Mm-hmm memorialize perhaps yeah the anniversary the six-month anniversary of sb8 that day in september september 1st when this law went into effect and the supreme court took a hot 48 hours to decide eh, it's fine (laughs) so we decided that we were going to talk to some people on the ground we talked to some folks from the afia center which is a black run reproductive justice group in texas it is Full of amazing, badass people. And they were kind enough to take time out of their extremely busy days to share videos with us about what life is like in Texas on the ground right now. So you should really check out our Instagram. We posted them to Twitter. Give a look. Tell us what you think. And it's really important, I think, to focus this fight on the people on the ground right now. Absolutely. They're really powerful. And I mean, just, you know, they, in addition to taking the time to do them, they really, you know, let us know what folks who aren't in Texas can do like actual steps. And, you know, I mean, we hear from, we've heard from providers, um, but it's folks also connecting other folks to people who need services and just the stress of living under this bounty regime. It's a lot. It is a lot. And in connection with our commemoration of this tragiversary. Oh, that's good. Tragiversary, right? Tragedy, anniversary, slap them together. That's a portmanteau for you out there. It is. (laughs) So we had our own Rewire News Group's alum, Andrea Grimes, who has been a warrior for reproductive justice and rights in Texas for a decade at least Mm -hmm. now. She is, uh, we have published two of a three-part series of hers. The first is... First article is called How Texas Became Ground Zero in the Abortion Wars. And it's a deep dive into legislatively how it is Texas got to where it is. Um, You know, she was digging into archives. I imagine she was like at the Library of Congress on microfiche, (laughs) checking out old, you know, 30-year-old copies of the Fort Star, Fort Worth Star Telegram and the Houston Chronicle and really just digging deep into what went on and how Texas was lost, essentially, when it comes to abortion. Her second piece is called Abortion Was the Obvious Play to Turn Texas Red. How did Democrats miss it? And it's essentially like, hey, George Bush and Rick Perry are dipshits. They saw the writing on the wall. They got in on the abortion wars because they knew that it was going to elevate their careers. What the heck were Democrats doing? How did they miss it? And both pieces are phenomenal. She's a stunning writer. She's like one of those writers where I'm like, I would like to be able to write that well, that compellingly. I 
I'm a good writer, but she's a very, very good writer. And she writes with such passion because she believes in the subject. So please check out those pieces. Do, do. Andrew's pieces are so compelling in part because she does such a great job explaining how Texas offshores its abortion politics nationwide so that nothing that stays in Texas or nothing that starts in Texas ever stays in Texas, right? We're talking about the SB8 tragiversary now, and we've got other states that are, you know, hot to trot to pass their own versions of it. Nothing that starts in Texas stays in Texas. And man, Andrea's pieces are so great at putting those together. Absolutely. And I'd like to give a fan shout out to Courtney Spence who gave us a shout-out, so I guess we're just exchanging shout-outs here. Give a shout-out, take a shout-out. Love the love. <laughs> love the love. Uh, she says, another shout-out to Angry Black Lady and Hegemami for today's delightful Boom Lawyered podcast. KBJ, a discussion of hope and joy in the midst of an otherwise bleak and scary time on many levels. These ladies are brilliant and hilarious, and my life is better for them. Hashtag Vladiless. <laughs> <laughs> Because I did make this joke when I accidentally said Vladimir last week. And I was like, no, we don't need Vladimir. We need Vladiless. It's the best dad joke. We have been laughing about it like literally all week in this house. Vladimir, no, Vladiless. Waka, waka, waka. Like, it's totally like we need the big clown horn. (laughs) Oh, too good. Too good. So, okay, Amani. I realize that the pandemic has changed a lot about the way folks do business, okay? But this part where the Supreme Court starts dropping random opinions on a Thursday is not a great development, Imani. Uh, I don't like it. I I really don't like it. I don't like it at At all. all. Especially when those opinions say that they're about abortion, And ostensibly are about abortion because they're about abortion laws and regulations, but they're really about the future of our democracy. Oh, I'm already so sweaty, but (laughs) that's what we're going to talk about in today's episode. The Supreme Court's decision last week in Cameron versus EMW Women's Surgical Center to let Kentucky Attorney General Dan Cameron reanimate the fight to enforce a Kentucky law that bans the most common form of later abortion. Now, that sure sounds like a case about abortion, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's not. Mm. We're going to explain why. So this fucking case. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I just look, I love civil procedure as much as the next person. Okay, as long as the next person ain't me. As long as the next person isn't you, okay. I, I saw the, I saw your face. You were like, uh, excuse me, where are you going with this? <laughs> but no, I, I do. I love civil procedure. It's nerdy and I like it, but this is getting ridiculous. We are months away from Roe being just stabbed in the kidney unrelentingly. <laughs> And every abortion-related ruling or hearing that we've had over the last six months has been steeped in civil procedure, so much so that even I'm getting tired of it. Well, so first of all, Amani, let me say welcome <laughs> to the party. Come on in. Welcome to the party, pal. Uh, it's great. We're happy to have you. Um, uh, you know, it is... I love talking about abortion. I talk about abortion all the time. 
We can be talking about something totally unrelated about abortion, and I will find a way to pivot it back to talking about abortion. And I am getting really goddamn tired of having a podcast ostensibly about abortion, and we have to talk about civil procedure all the time. (laughs) I'm sorry. I know. It's got to be so hard for you. People, I have to tell you that I have been in bars with Jess at like midnight (laughs) where she will belly up and just start talking to some random white dude about abortion and an hour later they're just engaged in conversation and somehow she's managed to change this man's mind about repro rights it's a skill that she has so i feel like the courts owe it to jessica mason piclo as a human being to allow her to talk about abortion on a podcast that's mostly about abortion instead of talking about civil procedure (sighs) i'm just putting that out there for you thank you you. okay you always got my back in mind i do i I always do but let's talk about this case right Okay. EMW Surgical Center. March 2018. The year was March 2018. <laughs> Picture Low it. Score in 2018. <laughs> so in March 2018, Kentucky passed a DNE ban, a dilation and evacuation ban that essentially bans abortion around 15 weeks, except in medical emergencies. 15 weeks. There's that 15 mm-hmm. week number. We keep hearing about it. At the time, the law was passed by Andy Bashir who is now the governor of Kentucky. At the time, he was the attorney general in Republican Matt Bevin's administration. Mm-hmm. So we've got Andy Bashir, who is now the governor, the Democratic governor, was at the time a Democratic attorney general to a Republican governor. That must have been fun. Yeah, right? Terrible. <laughs> anyway, Short- sorry. <laughs> Shortly after the law was passed, EMW Women's Surgical Center sued to block the law, arguing that it's an unconstitutional, unconstitutional pre abortion ban. We're so bad. No, I was just making shit up. I was doing jazz. I was you were doing the standards. You were doing the classics like Nat King Cole, and that yeah. was Miles Davising this shit. <laughs> But the district court and the conservative Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals agreed with them and blocked the law. Yeah, reasonable. Remember those days? Courts behaving reasonably? (laughs) Even conservative ones? What a country. (sighs) Oh, I can't even like... Anyway, I'm like, that happened. Mm -hmm. The court, the Sixth Circuit was like, no, this law's no good. I'm still gonna, I'm just gonna give that a minute. Anyway, this is where it starts to get wild. I'm avoiding the civil procedure talk. Can you tell? I know, you're, you're stalling. I, Stop stalling. I'm totally <laughs> stalling because this gets into, into the procedure. So during the court, the district court proceeding, right? So at the trial court level, Bashir declined to have his office defend the law, arguing that the statute didn't give his office any authority to enforce the ban. So it so his office wasn't a proper party to it. That, you know, that power in the statute was reserved for the Kentucky Health Secretary. That's the person who should do the business. The clinic also agreed. And together with the AG's office, they filed a stipulation to dismiss Bashir out of the case, right? That stipulation provided that the attorney general, quote, agrees that any final judgment in this action concerning the constitutionality of HB 454, this d ban, will be binding on the office of the attorney general subject to any modification or reversal on appeal. Right. So So let me just get this straight. Yeah. So he didn't think he was a proper party. He he didn't think the office of the attorney general was a proper party. Yeah. The clinic agreed. So they entered into an agreement saying that the attorney general, we're going to get out of this case, but we're going to we're going to agree to be bound by any final judgment. But we're now we're allowed to appeal. Yeah. But like we're out. Right. And it didn't say that the that this 
stipulation bound Bashir specifically. No. It was it the office. The office of the... Okay. Yeah. Got it. It was the office. And that, you know, since they were trying to get out of the lawsuit, the office would also be bound by whatever determination the court made on the constitutionality of the DNE ban. So out as a party and also agreeing to basically have no, you know, skin in the game on the constitu- on the finding of the constitutionality of the DNE ban, right? Mm-hmm. And it had this, you know, sort of get out clause that you mentioned that Bashir reserved all rights and defenses that were available to him, including whether he was a proper party in the action and appeals. So, you know, can that kind of that clause to sort of to say that, you know, if something really wild and out of the ordinary came up, you could let the court know. Right. Right. The district court entered the order dismissing the attorney general from the case. All right, that order dismisses the attorney general's office from the case. It also says the attorney general's office agrees to be bound by a court determination on the constitutionality of the DNE ban. That leaves it to the rest of the Bevins administration to defend, which it did, because of course it did. Right. Because they're numpties. Right. <laughs> and if you thought it was messy up until now, it's about to get a little bit messier. So the Bevins administration lost at the district court level and they did what anti-choice numpties always do. And they filed an appeal to the Sixth Circuit, which hears mm-hmm. cases out of Kentucky. After the health secretary's appeal was fully briefed, because remember, the health secretary was the person who was involved in defending this case. But before argument, then Attorney General Bashir was elected governor and Daniel Cameron, a Republican, was elected as Kentucky's new attorney general. So here yeah. we have... The appeal was fully brief, but the argument hadn't happened yet. Yep. A.G. Bashir was elected governor. Dan Cameron came in behind Democratic A.G. Bashir, mm-hmm. a Republican, and was elected as Kentucky's new attorney general. So now things are flipped. Now we have a Republican attorney general um, working for a Democratic governor. So four of the health secretary's lawyers moved to withdraw from the case, explaining that they were going to be no longer employed in their current positions, which makes sense because they were the four health secretary lawyers who were working under the Republican administration and Bashir, not a Republican. Yeah. Like all of this that we're talking about procedure wise background is really just like the normal course of a changeover of administration. Exactly. Exactly. So then a few weeks later, those same four attorneys who were now employed by the office of the attorney general, right, because they were they were Republican health secretary lawyers who then went to go work for the Republican AG. They appeared as counsel. Attorney General Cameron also entered an appearance as counsel for the secretary. So we have all these people who are now trying to hop back into the case. But he didn't seek to intervene or get him and his office back into the lawsuit. He just entered an appearance. He was just like, oh, I'm back in. Who does that? Who does that? <laughs> it <doesn't, laughs> who like, it's like, who just like showed up and was like, hey, guys, what I miss? Like, <laughs> you guys still partying? Because I know I was gone for a while, but like, I, I'm ready to party now. I've got snacks. I mean, it's, it's first of all, already way too much civil procedure talk. Yeah. I object. This is awful. But no, really, who does that? Like, you know, I, you just like, you just show up. And like, say I'm here, you know, you're not it, you're not a party to the lawsuit. Like, who are you, man? <laughs> like, <laughs> like some random person walked off the street and was like, hey, I want to be in this lawsuit. I mean, it's, a, it's almost the same thing. You were already dismissed. You don't belong there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But no, 
I refuse. I, yeah, it's it's getting worse. So the Sixth Circuit affirmed the district court and affirmed the judgment against the Kentucky Health Secretary. Mm-hmm. And after this decision, the secretary told Dan Cameron that he didn't intend to defend the abortion ban any further, right? Because the Kentucky Health Secretary was now a Democrat. Yep. The Sixth Circuit affirmed the district court's order saying this D&E ban is crap. And the health secretary is like, I'm not wasting my time. I got other shit to do. So right. he tells Cameron, I'm not, a, I'm not defending this abortion ban any longer. Okay, so this all seems completely reasonable. It happens. Except the fact that it's Dan Cameron, right? He did not like this news at all. So he tries to swap out lawyers, which is, again, who does this? This isn't, none of this is how things go. He had the lawyers from his office who had appeared as counsel for the secretary move to withdraw from the case and then move to intervene. So that a motion to intervene is to jump back in, right? To make himself a party in his own right. This is also after his office had agreed, again, to be bound by a ruling on the constitutionality of the DNE ban. Yeah. Okay. And... Let's just put like a calendar marker here, Imani. Mm -hmm. Cameron starts all of this over two years after that district court stipulated order of dismissal that said the attorney general's office agrees to be bound by whatever the courts say on the constitutionality of the D&E ban. Two years. Two years. And again, this is not an order that says Bashir, attorney general Bashir. It's the office of the attorney general. So yeah. whoever happens to whoever's ass is in that chair is bound by this order or should yeah. be or should have been or should be. Anyway, the Sixth Circuit hated this move, which should tell you something about it. The Sixth Circuit is a conservative Trumpy circuit, and they didn't like this and denied Cameron's request outright because there are rules, there are ways and Look, man, I know you don't like it, but your office agreed to be bound by this order, and that's the way that it goes. That should be the end of the story. There really should be no more for you and I to talk about. We shouldn't even be doing this podcast. But Dan Cameron saw an opening, right? What did he do? He went to the Supreme Court. He filed a petition to have them review the Sixth Circuit's decision to not let him come back into the case, right? To not jump back in and join the party four years now after the fact, like Jesus. And here we are, Amani, talking about civil procedure yet again, because the Supreme Court was like, meh, go ahead, join the party, Dan. Sounds good to us. And what we're not talking about is abortion. So- I Again, mean, I'm going to ask, can you can you please explain to me why? I mean, I, I can a little bit is that Dan Dan Cameron has political aspirations, right? Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a man who is corrupt, right? He is the mm-hmm. man who let the cops who murdered Breonna Taylor in her bed get off scot-free by, mm-hmm. not, pro- by not providing all of the charges that they could consider. And I don't know if you knew this, but three anonymous grand jurors filed a petition to impeach him for breaching the public trust in that case. So this is about a man who is who sees a ladder and he wants to climb it. And he's climbing over the backs of women who've been killed by police. He's climbing over the backs of pregnant people who need abortions. Mm -hmm. And I do have a question for you, though. You said that this was a case about democracy. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, Can you I mean, I did. And I, I really believe that. I mean, this is one of those cases that sure on the surface is about abortion, right? Like the heart of the law that is ultimately the parties are fighting over is an unconstitutional previability abortion ban. So this should be an abortion podcast. But really, this is about political power and ambition, as you said. And, you know, Dan Cameron is exhibit A for this. And the ways in which conservative politicians use abortion as currency to spend in their own political careers. Dan Cameron would not have been doing this if he did not see political opportunity from the jump to do so. You know, first, abortion as the big issue for conservatives, specifically conservative attorneys general, to do that. But also the change in the court. Right. Like there is no way he doesn't see that opening as opportunity for himself and his own ambition. And I have to say, it's also about I mean, we you and I talk a lot about power, about how a lot of the things that are going on in this space is about power grab. And that's what this is as well, in a sense. It's about being able to undo what Democratic attorneys general. That's so sexy. That's, isn't that sexy? It's so Attorneys sexy. general. It just rolls off the tongue like butter. Yeah. Woo! Okay, but it's about being able to undo what Democratic attorneys general are doing, right? Uh-huh. They are, Republicans are rigging elections all over the country, and they want to be able to just swoop into a formerly Democratic office and just change the rules, change the game to make it favorable to them. And they're going to come for all the blue states where there are Democratic attorneys general. And they're going to need to they're going to need to find a way to make sure that whoever succeeds them in office, these Republican attorneys general, can switch sides in major litigation involving people's constitutional rights, like the constitutional right for pregos to get a bobos. Right. Right. Exactly. And so let's zoom out and think about why or when a state attorney general might want to override the decision of a previous attorney general administration. Right. So abortion, obvious, you know, that's what we've been talking about. But, you know, I don't know. We've got the 2020 election and the state AGs, the Democratic state AGs who held the line against the first wave of the big lie nonsense. But the fact also that you had the Republican attorneys general I don't know, getting like a meal train and bus (laughs) tickets together for folks to go to D.C. on January 6th. So really, this is is about, as you said, Republicans ability to switch sides, especially on constitutional issues, abortion, voting, right, two huge ones. And yeah, it just it, it, it stinks. It's one of those cases that just. It, it feels like folks are kind of not seeing the whole picture. And and one thing that's really irritating as, you know, as a lawyer, yeah. it's that courts are supposed to be places of certainty for people. Oh, thank you. Right? Like you're supposed to go. That's why we have so many rules. Yeah. Just book, just statutes upon statutes about how it is that you're supposed to go about filing lawsuits when they get filed, who can be a party, who can intervene, who can get dismissed. Who can bring cases again against the same people with the same issues? Like, these are all things that we learn in civil procedure class. And it's like, part of that is to make sure that the process is is easily knowable, right? You look at the rules, you figure it out, you do what the rules say. And if a judgment isn't ever final, then what is the point of having rules? If a party can always just be brought back into litigation or decide to tap out for a couple of years, 
not spend the attorney's fees that everybody else in the lawsuit is spending and then tap back in later. I just don't understand how it is that the courts don't become anything besides just a place for people to grind political grievances. Yeah. I mean, but this was Sotomayor's point in her dissent, right? That elections have consequences. And we have examples all the time where attorney general administrations change hands from Republican administrations to Democratic administrations and back again. And oftentimes the folks in those changeovers don't agree with the positions that the previous administration have held, but they don't do a 180 on the legal arguments before the court. There are very limited circumstances in which that can happen, right? A substantive change in the law, for example. Mm -hmm. A whole bunch of new information that didn't get discovered during the litigation process that now comes to light and, and is a good excuse. If those reasons don't exist, trying to change positions used to be the kind of thing that would get attorneys sanctioned, right? Mm -hmm. There's even a rule against changing positions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, we've accelerated so far in this backlash that conservatives have just thrown out the rule book entirely. And I just got to say, this is only going to cut in their favor like their arguments around federalism, right? Like Trump judges are never going to agree that now a Democratic attorney general that can hop back in and, I don't know, like start defending a gun ban, they're not going to agree with that. Never. Like it's just, it, it's not, you know? And one other thing, because, you know, kind of like Andrea Grimes talks about how abortion bans that start in Texas never stay in Texas – this power grab that the court just facilitated in this decision is going to have immediate effects and conservatives are paying attention to it. So, all right. You remember like back in the Tea Party days, we used to talk about ALEC, right? Oh my remember God. ALEC? Yeah, the model legislation people. They were the ones who basically introduced most of the bills in Texas that led up to HB2, which led up to Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstedt. Yes, oh, yeah, like, Alec and so, I are old friends. <laughs> yeah, so Alec and Imani go way back. <laughs> yeah. And any and so they are this conservative uh, you know, uh I almost said litigation, but a legislation hub that just like rolls out bad bills. And they have a big bad bill that they're rolling out, this piece of model, model legislation that you won't even believe me, Imani. It's so bad you legitimately aren't going to believe what I'm about to tell you. They want to create federalism commissions in conservatively gerrymandered states. This is, you know, something that's that has shown up most recently in Utah that would basically let the state opt out of federal legislation it disagrees with. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> no, that I, you, you, heard you didn't just say that because how our entire system of government is built on this idea that we have states, that we have the federal government, and then that what the federal government says goes in most circumstances. That's why yeah. we have the supremacy clause. Yeah. So if states are going to start having their own commissions to decide when it is they want to opt out of federal law, how is that not a su succession? How are we a yeah. United States of America if every state is doing whatever the fuck it wants? And again, is that something that would ever cut in Democrats or progressives' favor? Oh, the God, other no. way? Absolutely no. not. Absolutely no. not. So what we are seeing is a wholesale rewriting of our even like basic ideas and foundations and principles of democracy. And they it's being 
facilitated through these Trojan horses of abortion, of, you know, trans kids, of critical race theory, like, you know, all of that. But what's really what they're really coming for is democracy. Well, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ, Jess. (laughs) I'm so sorry. On that note, (laughs) if you would like to talk about the ways in which the Supreme Court is destroying democracy, you can find me on Twitter at Angry Black Lady. But please, I urge you to direct your commentary to one Jessica Mason Piclo at Hegemami, H-E-G-E-M-O-M-M-Y. Also, please follow our social channels on Twitter and Instagram. Really, you should check out the the videos that I talked about in the upfront from the Athea Center, the people on the ground. Oh, yeah. Um, Our social media and our graphics team Unaga and Cage they're both crushing it they did such a great job with these videos and they're powerful so you should go watch them and also you know our social media manager is busting her behind on our social channels and so if you see something you should say something because she wants to interact we all want to interact and you know our, our Twitter becomes more fun if we can engage with our audience if we can answer questions or if we can just commiserate with you because there's going to be a lot of time for commiseration in the upcoming months so don't be shy Say hi. Ooh, that's our new thing. (laughs) Don't be shy. Say hi. And on that note, what are we going to do, Jess? We're going to see you on the tubes, folks. See you on the tubes, folks. Boom Lawyered is created and hosted by Jessica Mason-Piclo and Imani Gandhi. Mark Filetti produces the show. 